I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a lot to learn with Austin Rogers. For the guy who knows everything, he's still got a lot to learn. Without further ado, here's Austin. Welcome, 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 welcome. Good morning, evening, afternoon, whatever time of day it is. I have no idea because this is a podcast, so you're listening to this whenever you actually might be. Today is awesome. We have got Mark Backer, who is a Formula One race official and formerly worked for ING, the sponsor of Renault, a Formula One constructor. Today, we're going to talk about all things Formula One because largely, from an American perspective, Formula One is a black box. We have our NASCAR. We have, to a lesser extent, our other open-wheel racing, like IndyCar. And we casually follow sports car racing. And there is a Formula One race in the United States. But it's basically the domain of aficionados. Worldwide, not the case. Formula One is, correct me if I'm wrong, other than the World Cup, the world's most watched sport. Yeah, uh, so thanks for having me on the Absolutely, Mark. Thank you for coming. Uh, so, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, uh, it's viewership worldwide is, is probably the highest of, of any sport. So it might be rivaled by things like the Olympics or the, the World Cup for, for soccer. But the difference between Formula One and those, those other events is that they those happen, are events those are events they happen every you know four years yep. or something like that well formula one it's every year year in year out so it's pretty it's pretty relentless i mean i i forgot the exact stats but uh on you know the casual stat is at any given at every any given grand prix which is what you call a formula one race and on every any given grand prix one billion people are watching. Yeah, that, that that's about right. So um, at ING, before we got into the the sport, before we decided that we wanted to sponsor the uh, the Renault team, we did an extensive study of which sports we should sponsor. Well, I mean, first of all, we did a study of whether we should sponsor sports at all. Right. But once we decided that sports was the right way to go, we looked across the globe at everything. We looked at tennis, football, you name it. And the thing about F1 is consistently, it just has the highest worldwide viewing audience out there. So as someone both embedded in Formula One and intimately knowledgeable and a fan of the sport, tell the non-fan what makes it so compelling. I consider i mean i used to watch back in the day in the michael schumacher uh juan pablo montoya era i used to watch then and i sort of like fell off just because it's sort of hard to watch on an american schedule um but for the non-fan of formula one why is it so compelling why do so many people love formula one well i think at the end of the day there's something in it for everyone um 
Okay, in, in a certain sense, you could compare it, let's say, to baseball, mm-hmm. right? You have certain people that follow particular teams because they're from that city. Then you've got people who follow particular players because they have an affinity for that player. And then you've got, like, I would call them, you know, the hardcore geeks. And those are the guys who know all the statistics about who played when, what the score was, who did what in what inning. Right. As a and- baseball nerd, I am in... Between the second and third category, I'm not quite full nerd, but I'm very close. Right. So you'll appreciate this. So, so the thing with, with F1, it's, it's very much the same thing. You can follow it on a lot of different levels. So on the one hand, you've got the what I would almost call the national teams, right? So Ferrari represents yes. Italy. And, you know, you've got teams that are iconic for, for, for that reason. But then you've got the people who are really into the cars. So, again, Ferrari, people like to drive Ferraris. Then you have BMW. You have all of the car manufacturers yep. like Renault as well. And then you have the drivers. So the drivers, obviously, they come from different countries. And then as soon as your country has an F1 driver... Like, wow. The floodgates have opened. Yeah, that becomes a thing. So now there is a Dutch driver, for example. So all of a sudden, the sports gains a ton of Dutch fans because they're cheering on their driver. Yeah, so you've got you've got several different entryways into fandom. I love the car. I love my country. I love the driver from my country. Right. So the way that I kind of got into it is, is, the, the, is a different way, which is... I just fell in love with the engineering of it all. Aha. Because the thing about F1 is that it is the absolute cutting edge of what is and is not possible to do with a car. Within certain constraints. Within certain constraints. Which is why it's called Formula One. The formula is the body of rules governing the manufacture of each racing car. Correct. Now, the the thing which is really interesting about that is that these rules keep changing from year to year. And the reason for that is that every year they're kind of, I wouldn't say experimenting, but they're kind of trying to highlight a different part of the the automotive engineering process. So a few years ago, like when when ING got involved in the in the sport, which was in I think 2008, if I remember correctly, it was all about aerodynamics. Right. So you saw that the cars had a lot of bits hanging off of them, had a lot of like planes at different angles and wings and, and, and funky stuff like that. And that's because it was all about getting the aerodynamics right. And then there was like the Kurs era, Kurs's Connecticut Energy Recovery System. Right. And that's a, a flywheel and electric motor that recovers energy that you could... Add, uh, during braking that you could add on demand at certain points during the race. Exactly. So that's kind of changed over the years, but that system is still more or less in place. The emphasis is maybe a little bit different now. But the, the point of that is, is that all of that innovation and all of that stuff that they focus on during those races eventually makes their way into commercial vehicles. Carbon fiber monocoque ch- chassis, for example. Exactly. So if you look at, at Kurs, for example, which is now called Urs, um, 
Oh, you, it's just hers. <laughs> yeah, now it's just hers. If you look at um, some commercial vehicles coming onto the market now, like especially the electric cars, the electric cars have an Earth system inside as well, which is obviously not as you know sophisticated as what they use in Formula One. But you can see all of that technology bleeding slowly into the mainstream. Right. Uh, what are some other trickle downs uh, through Formula One in in its history? I mean, Formula One started in 1946, I mm. believe, and it was sort of the legacy of the pre-war uh, Grand Prix, which were like the Auto Union and the Mercedes Silver Arrows and stuff like that, which was like the heyday. Right. And then Formula One came. Um, what are some of the other trickle-downs in Formula One's now 70-year history? Well, I mean, it, it's the... the, the it's, it's almost endless. I mean, if you look at, for example, the way that, that brakes work, the way that clutches work, you know, it's, it's really, it's throughout the entire, the entire car. Mm-hmm. All of these parts were, were tested, were perfected, and, and, and things like that. Not only because of Formula One, of course. Right. But what's interesting about Formula One is it really pushes everything to the most extreme. And then once you have it at its most extreme, then you can kind of scale it back and you worry about other stuff. Well. Right. Like uh, for those of you who are an auto, I am not closeted. I am an enthusiastic automotive guy. I'm just a little out of the loop on the Formula One. But like I guess one of the uh, SMGs, uh, semi, uh, automated manual gearboxes with the flappy paddles. Yes, correct. Yeah, correct, yeah. Right. So that's been in, in F1 for a long time now. And then more and more cars now are, are, are starting to adopt this as, uh, as well. I mean, obviously, not everything will have a commercial use. So those, those, those flappy gears, as you call them, yeah. are useful more like in sports cars right. than other stuff. But yeah, you, you really see those advances. Now, when it comes to the safety of automobiles as well. Um, that is is something that you 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 really see kind of getting through a, a rigorous testing system. Then F one gets a hold of it as well. They do their thing, and eventually it makes its way into the cars that you and I drive. Right. Okay. That's let's touch on safety because you've got right now in this season you've got the installation of the so called halo, right, which is a head to a head protection frame around the driver, not a windshield, just a a a, a big loop with a single pillar that. That protects the driver, and I believe there was a race this weekend where it saved a driver's life. Yes, that's right. So Alonso's car basically got got. By the way, this is being taped the week of. Uh, it is August thirtieth right now, I believe. So this is a little dated, but you'll get some context out of it. Yeah. So so basically, um, I can't remember who the driver was, but but Alonso's car just kind of like slid over the top of it, mm-hmm. and you can very clearly see that his tire very likely would have would have impacted the driver had it not been for the halo. So you have you have the formula, the formula, oh, <laughs> which which designates you know each specification per each season and it's always being modified and also everyone's playing there's actually a good baseball analogy in there because the baseball has its rules and then baseball has its wink rules mm. right and everyone's trying to get around the wink rules and formula one's the same way because you know there have always been controversies where you know someone had you know a little secret button hidden or a fourth pedal i remember someone had a fourth pedal that did something i think it slightly moved a wing in active aerodynamics but i digress why why can't formula one just be like no holds barred build the fastest car possible and let's let them race and have them all be different I well, personally, I, I I wouldn't mind seeing that right at, at some level. But I think that the to to answer that question, you you have to look a little bit at who's, you know, 
funding this and 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 who's behind it in a way mm-hmm. because one of the reasons why so many car manufacturers are in formula 1 and this is my my personal opinion is that this is very good research and development for them aha so if if you and and what's important is they want to know what works best so if you allow too many variables mm-hmm. it's very difficult to control where you're getting most of your advantage from so is it the aerodynamics is it is it is it something else that's giving you that advantage oh right and it gets really really specific so for example one of my favorite stories is there was one year when uh the whole year was about the braun team yes ross braun and that was jensen button's breakout year right right now, the thing with, with Braun was that he had figured out something about the rules that year that nobody had spotted. And it was a, a, a small thing. I think it had to do with the, with the either the front wing or a rear diffuser or a combination of the two. I, I can't remember the details. But the point is, is that he had found that like one little thing that nobody else had spotted. And it gave him such a big advantage that almost from the very first race, it was basically his, his year. Right. And... So that was very, very interesting because if you can imagine, if anyone was allowed to make any changes that they felt like doing, they could hit on any number of such little golden nuggets. Right. If you put the cars next to each other, sure, it's great to see who builds the best car and who has the best engineers. But if I'm a car manufacturer, I need to know specifically what is giving me my advantage because I want to reintroduce that into the rest of my manufacturing process eventually. Right, you have to have a control to conduct an experiment. So I know that aerodynamics are fixed the whole time and then I change it and all of a sudden I'm a tenth of a second faster. What did that? Now that I know it's not the aerodynamics. Exactly. So for example, one of one of the things that, that they, they're kind of testing out now is fuel efficiency. Mm-hmm. That's why they don't allow refueling during, during right. the races, which they did allow, you know, years before. And right. I expect that maybe over the years when when they want to test something else, they may or may not introduce refueling. I mean, I'm simplifying. There are other reasons they took refueling out. But the thing about the no refueling during the race means that it allows them or it forces them rather to create more fuel efficient cars Mm -hmm. because fuel weighs a lot. Yes. So if you make a car that consumes less fuel, it means you need to put less fuel in when you start the race, which means that you have an advantage over everybody throughout the race. So Mm -hmm. that's what people are kind of focusing on now. And you can bet that there are engineers who are obsessively looking at each and tiny drop of fuel that they use for what to make sure that they minimize that fuel use now. I think it was in... Uh, I think it was in the 70s during um, the SCCA sports car series, Camaros versus Corvettes. Now, Camaros versus Mustangs and stuff like that. And I'm I'm, I'm getting it sort of wrong, um, but the fuel tank had a specific capacity. Mm -hmm. So what they would do is they would put a basketball in the fuel tank inflate the basketball when the marshals came around to inspect how the capacity of the tank it would come out correct right and then they deflate the basketball <laughs> right. and, and fill it and yeah. yeah but that's engineers for you right? yeah yeah right right engineers will will do whatever it takes to find that last bit of performance out of anything it's not cheating you just never said i can't put a basketball in there right. so as you can imagine the rules need to be so 
super specific <laughs> about what can and cannot be done. <laughs> um, so a little bit about fandom of, of Formula One. It's a global phenomena and uh, sort of how uh, in, in, Amer- in the United States, uh, we touched on this before we sat down. Auto racing, not sports car racing, but the mainstream auto racing, um, our NASCARs and our also our other open wheel series, uh, they're predominantly the working class Joe. This is, this is hey, let's go kick back some beers and drive our motor home to the infield and party for the weekend on a lawn chair and watch the cars go by. I went to the Brickyard 400 once a couple years ago uh, with a bunch of friends for a bachelor party. That's at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but it's a NASCAR race. And uh, this guy sat down next to me with a suitcase, a 24-pack of Coors Light Tall Boys. Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, start your engines. Let's go racing, 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 racing. And he cracks the first beer. As the final car comes around for the checkered flag... He finished the last beer. Mm-hmm. This guy had it down to a science how long a race lasted and how he could drink an entire suitcase of Coors Light in the exact duration of the race. It was phenomenal. It wow, was phenomenal. Dedication. That is dedication. Uh, that is not the crowd who watches Formula One globally. Well, yes and no. Okay, you, please. You do have. You do have. Because I'm, like, th- I'm seeing. I'm seeing mega yachts off of Monaco. Well, see, because there, there's different sides to the sport. Um, I think the big difference between motor racing in in the U.S. and 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 Formula One is Formula One is is predominantly a white collar kind of sport. Mm-hmm. That's how it's seen. It's uh, it's all about the luxury, the flash, the glamour, and, and, and things like that. But I think especially over the years, they've introduced quite a, a, a wide tier of, of levels that you can appreciate the sport. So you can get the guy. And in, in fact, in Europe, it, a lot of people do it. They do have their camper vans, and they, they travel from country to country as they follow the race around. Um, but one of the, the things that Formula One brings to it is that glitz and glamour and you know the paddock club is really the the epitome of that discuss what the paddock club so is the paddock club is is essentially a a special hospitality suite mm-hmm. which is very often associated with individual teams and it usually lives above the uh, the garage of the of the team in uh, in question right and you basically get five star treatment so you get um Food and drinks um, all day is is just free flow. Uh, you have uh, access to the team. Uh, the drivers drop by from time to time to have a chat and things like that. Um, you get special perks. So, for example, you can go visit the garage uh, and have a look at what they're doing there. Uh, some really, you know, VIP guests they can also sometimes uh, even go on the grid before the race starts right. and kind of experience that up close and personal. So there, there's a lot of, of, of layers to it, but it's basically access. It's getting closer to the teams and things like that. So the uh, the the term floats around here in Singapore. We are in Singapore, by the way. The term floats around Singapore here. The wanker bankers get that. What does the guy on the street who loves Formula One get? How does he experience the race? Okay, so, both at home and 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 at the race in person. So here here's the thing, right? It's when you're in the paddock club, you do get all the glitz and the glamour. And and don't get me wrong, that's that's great. Yeah, and there's people who really get off on it, and I think you get a pretty good view of the start of the race. 
uh, of course, you get a good view of the end as well because usually it's by the start-finish line. Yep. And you get a very nice bird's-eye view in, in most places of the garages so you can see pit stops and yeah. and stuff. But besides for that, it's really, if you're a huge fan of the sport, there are many better places that you can be on track. Right. So what we always said is like, you know, the, the paddock club, it's all about the experience and the luxury and things like that. But it's more of a lifestyle thing. If you're a real fan of the sport, you want to be out there next to the track. You want to be at a nice tight turn so you can see the cars speeding towards you, slamming on their brakes. The smoke is coming off. You get the smell in the air and then you see it shooting off again when it like passes the corner. So that is what Formula One is for for the real fans, yeah, for most of the fans, yeah, it's it's not about you know being in an air conditioned room and, and and following it at what is essentially at a distance. Right? Yeah, okay, so that's yeah, that's equivalent to any sport. You know, you can go and sit in the bleachers at a baseball game, or you could get the luxury suite. Exactly, I'd rather sit in the bleachers. Yeah, same, yeah. same here. Same yeah, here. Uh, totally understood. Uh, so so now you're 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 on the track. And you're at that awesome turn, and you're a super fan. Uh, and you just you mentioned it a little bit, the braking and stuff like that. Uh, what are you looking for? What do you? What you're you're getting new? You're you're new to Formula One. I want to get into it. What am I looking for? What am I? What am I going to be into when I see that? Because um, Formula One overtaking is notoriously scarce. Mm. Uh, and because it's notoriously difficult to do. Okay, okay, talk about that because a lot of uh, I used to be a huge NASCAR fan, and I, I I just dwindled away from the sport. I sort of just dwindled away from both NASCAR and Formula One just over time, not not by choice or anything. It just other things took my mind, um, and I I tried to explain to people NASCAR. I'm like, no, so much is happening. You know, you want to be in fifth place behind five other cars for most of the race you want you know you don't want to become the wind you want a great pit strategy you want to do two uh, two fuel changes not three on this track and i really got into that uh and also you're overtaking constantly lead changes from 25th to 14th to 7th to 30th happen all the time Mm -hmm. that doesn't happen so much in formula one so discuss why it is so notoriously difficult so so let let me kind of uh, draw another parallel here it's a little bit also like basketball and american football scores versus soccer scores okay a one nothing versus a 110 to 104 exactly but when that goal happens the stadium just explodes, especially if it's a beautiful, beautiful goal. So, so when that pass happens, yeah, when it all comes together, when they when they string the right play together, and you know the the ball goes into the net, that's you know it's it's beautiful. So it's it's like that with Formula One as well. So people are not constantly overtaking, and sometimes an overtaking maneuver can take many many laps to set up. Mm-hmm. And that's why if you're listening to team radios and stuff, they're constantly keeping the drivers updated about who's where and who's gaining and, and, and things like that. So a large part of winning an F1 race has to do with tire management, for example. Mm-hmm. Because now that there's no refueling stops doesn't mean that there are no pit stops. Because you got you, you to gotta, you gotta change your tires once in a while. And, and your tire start strategy suddenly becomes much more important. So 
there's a lot that goes into an overtaking maneuver. Right. Way before the actual maneuver takes place. And as fans, when you see those cars gaining, when you see them jockeying for positions, and that's why, you know, being in one of the corners is such a great place to be because a lot of the overtaking takes place in the corners. Right. One guy overshoots, one guy breaks a little bit too early or too late, and boom, the next guy is in there. Yeah. So And it can happen in the blink of an eye, like literally in the blink of an eye. And that's what makes it so exciting. Okay, so you've got it much like soccer, which I'm a big fan of, or football. Um, you've got to have some patience. Yes. Yeah, and you've got, to, you've got to also maintain concentration. You can't walk out like in baseball. You walk out during the inning, you come back in, and it's a new inning. Yeah. You, like it's... You, you, you've got a, a soft reset in the middle of every game, right? In Formula One, you've got to be cognizant of what's happening the whole time. Exactly. And in, in that sense, it's a lot like, I mean, I keep on making other sports analogies, but it's a little bit like golf as well, right? You know, each individual hole has its own unique challenges. Right. But the guy who wins at the end of the day is the guy who is the most consistent. And in Formula One, it's a little bit the same. So if you take, for example, probably the most notorious track for this is Monaco. Mm -hmm. So Monaco, traditionally, if you're first on the grid, if you're in pole position, you end up winning the race. Barring a catastrophic mistake. Right. But that's the entire point is to do well in Monaco, you need to drive a flawless race because if you make a mistake, you're done. Yeah. There's very little room to maneuver. So you have to appreciate that at a certain level, right? It's the the flawlessness and the smoothness of it all that, that you admire in a race like that. It's not necessarily about the overtaking and the spectacle that 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 entails. Okay, I thought of a sports analogy. It would be like pitching a shutout or a perfect game in baseball. You take the mound, you throw three outs once. You throw three outs twice. You throw three outs three times, and now you're saying, ooh, he's Mm. doing it. He throws three outs in the fourth inning. You're like, "Uh uh-oh, something special is happening. Right. And then in the fifth inning, he gives up a solo home run. Ah, and you're like, ah, there it goes, yeah. right? So, I, okay, that's, that's, so it, that's it, my analogy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's very much like that, especially on a track like Monaco where it's difficult to overtake. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, if you're lucky enough to be watching a Monaco race when it's raining, ah, that's when you really can tell who the quality drivers are. Perfect segue. Now, let's talk about what someone could go onto YouTube and find some of, what are some of your, throughout Formula One's long history, some of your favorite moments, some of your favorite driver's moments or just favorite moments that someone could go on YouTube right now. And, uh, you know what you got to watch? You got to go watch blank. Wow. Uh, so many, so many things. Great, great. Let's I go mean, through um, them. 
I'm not I'm not an F1 historian, so I'm sure. No, that a no, lot of we're we're approaching gonna, this as fandom, yeah. not 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 we're not technocrats here. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, is that I'm sure that whatever I say, there's a lot of people who will be going like, "How could you say that?" No, Obviously, no, you know, in please. 1984, there was this thing, but like, okay, for for just personally, for yeah. Me, one yeah. thing that I really enjoy, and you can find this on YouTube, has got little to do with the racing, but I'm a huge fan of. Kimi Raikkonen's quips. Just <laughs> okay, okay. The way that he talks to his team, the way that he answers like interview questions is just, you know, no bullshit. Just, you know, like get on with it. I let am, me do my job. I am familiar with that. Kimi Raikkonen is a Finnish Formula One driver who gives some of the world's sporting world's funniest press conferences. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's just so no nonsense. But the way that he talks to his team during races is also fantastic. You know, it's like, Leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. How know, do stuff you, like that. It's, <laughs> it's classic. How do you, uh, how do you, uh, we'll get back to some of the favorite moments uh, again, but uh, how do you, how do you experience uh, uh, the team radio and stuff like that? How do you get into that? Well, um, it's not available all the time to everyone, but they uh-huh. usually release certain snippets, especially after the race. Now, if you're lucky enough to be in the paddock club it, with some teams, they actually allow you to sit for a while in the garage. They have a little section for for spectators yep. and they'll give you a headset and you can hear live as the teams are, are are talking to each other which is a pretty cool experience if you can get it i think at the nascar race i last attended i think they gave you some sort of wi-fi or bluetooth enabled earphone that you could plug in and you could switch to different teams yeah radios. I, I think they have that in f1 as well i'm not sure if it's for every race and if it's everywhere but I think there's a similar thing as well where you can listen in to some of the team radios. I mean, that's like that's that. super fascinating getting the getting the in depth behind the scenes, you know, the chatters as it yeah. were. Um, all right, some other moments that people or or just drivers in general that you just loved or when when you were when you were younger and this was like wow, this was my guy. This was my, for me, Don Mattingly in 1987 or something like that. Well, I, I actually came to the sport quite quite late. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't have like youth ones, but I'll tell you my, my personal favorite moment. And this is just, this is just for, for me. Absolutely. Um, is the Singapore Grand Prix, first Singapore Grand Prix when Alonso won the race. Now, I know that him winning that race was a bit controversial or turned out to be controversial later. How? Oh, okay, go. But for me, it was my favorite because I was, I was with ING. We were sponsors of Renault. And right. that was our first victory of the year. Ah, and, and you were in... So you, I was in, so we weren't in the paddock club. We had our own kind of hospitality suite, which was just purely, purely ours. But just being in that room as the race went on and on and as the laps were being eaten away and we, we, we went from, you know, uh, we're, we're never going to win to there's a real chance to, oh my God, he's actually going to do it to like, wow, he did it. That, that buildup was was amazing and and being in on the conversations where ing was debating which sport to support how much to support it for should we support a sport and then it came to fruition the 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 marketing paid off so to speak right and and so that was actually a a weekend where it all came together so so a little bit of the behind the scenes stuff we had a very rough start because it was the very first race in singapore so nobody knew anything about how it worked so just from a purely logistical point of view had a ton of questions about 
the hotel, about how to get people from the hotel to the track, um, which gates could we access, which gate should we use, how far was it walking from A to B, you know, all of that kind of stuff we, we were trying to wrestle with um, in a way that we didn't really have to wrestle at other races because there people pretty much knew how, how it worked. So right. From that rough start to having a, a, a rough season to begin with where we weren't performing as well as we, we wanted to perform, to it kind of culminating in that was just was just amazing. That's it, that's awesome. Yeah, it just everything came together, and the end of the weekend was was phenomenal for everyone. for For us as a sponsor, for us as the organizers be, be behind it, at least for our own hospitality, and for the team to score a victory was just you know that feeling was amazing. So that was at the Singapore Grand Prix, which is uh, you are intimately involved with the Singapore Grand Prix. I can't say exactly how, but Singapore has a different Grand Prix than everyone else. Mm. Or or maybe except Monaco, because the Singapore Grand Prix is run on streets. Is that correct? That's correct. No, there are other street circuits. So okay. in Australia, they have a circuit which is partially a street circuit and partially on, uh, on an official track. But what's really special about Singapore is it's, it's the only night race. It's the only race that takes place at night. Oh, well, that means maybe I could watch it. <laughs> so, so what's really spectacular about what they had to do, and again, right, what really gets to me is the engineering of it all. Because they have to suddenly, this is a sport that takes place during the daytime, right? So there's no headlights on the cars or anything right. like that. Um, and it gets, you know, pretty dark out here at night, like everywhere else. So they have to light this track in such a way that it's safe for the drivers. So essentially what that comes down to is that it's it's got to be as bright as if it was daylight consistently throughout every corner, every straight, whether there are trees around you or, or, or whatever. So the feat of engineering that went into that, figuring out how to do that, how to you know, physically make it possible, but then they had to build in redundancies, backup systems. They needed the generators to make it all work and to power it all. So right. the, the 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 sheer magnitude of all of this is 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 pretty awe inspiring when you think about it. Yeah, I, I did not know it was the only race at night. Uh, so you know, looking out the window of the Ritz Carlton, don't judge me, <laughs> don't judge me. Uh, you see, you see the Singaporean flag. Uh, tied up with a checkered flag. Is that the actual course right there? Oh, yeah, yeah. We're looking at the track right here. <laughs> so you're looking at, uh, basically, this is uh, turn two is is what you're uh, looking at right there. Wow. Um, actually, um, we're looking straight down. I'll show you some photos of this uh, on Instagram when this uh, when this episode comes out. But go. Oh, and right behind you is the pit building. Where? Yeah, just right there. You see where it says Singapore on the roof? That is the pit building that you're looking at. And right that, behind that, that building is the pit straight. Really? Right there? Yeah. Uh, go go take a look at my Instagram, and I will show you photos of the view from my hotel room. Again, don't judge me, but I'm looking down upon uh, Singapore. I should have come during the... Well, this room would have been, what, oh. $7,000? Well, so there's there's a couple of things there. Not only would it have been like three to five times more expensive than yeah. whatever it must be right now, but on top of that, there is a minimum number of room nights that you have to book. So you can't just book for a night or two. Uh, well, I would assume that because... Are we in the middle of the track? Does it go around us right now? Uh, it passes right in front. So so this is actually one of the few hotels that, that 
has access issues when the race is on. Right. You so can't access it from the front. That's why anymore. I would assume, yeah. I, actually, much like NASCAR, you have to enter uh, the day before. If you've got your RV permit for the infield of the track, you have to enter the day before qualifying, leave the day after the race. So, yes, you have a minimum stay because access is obviously restricted. Yes. So, yes. But it's mainly so that the hotels can make enough money to make it worth their while. Right. There's, there's a... Okay, they are fully booked most of the time, but there is also a tendency for hotels to worry about occupancy during a weekend like this because mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh, logistical issues. For example, um, it's, a, it's a city race, so you've got traffic issues and stuff like that. So um, it's kind of to compensate for the fact that maybe sometimes they wouldn't get as much occupancy, which, of course... I mean, yeah. I mean, it's duh. an F1 weekend. I mean, yeah, of course, people yeah. are going to I mean, I mean, look at it. We're surrounded by skyscrapers, half of which are hotels, and a third of each of those hotels looks straight down on what is the actual track, which is absolutely fascinating. So I can say I have been in a taxi on a Formula One track. That's right. <laughs> not, not, and you can't say that in many other Grand Prix because most of them are purpose-built racetracks. Mm in the country or in the suburbs or outside of a city. Uh, so this is a really fascinating race. Uh, when When is the race? It is in September, mid-September. All right, so you will hear this after the race. So tell me who won. <laughs> uh-huh. I, should, I should really know the date. <laughs> what was that? 14th through 16th of September. So you've, this has already happened, so you're in a time machine. Mm. Um, any any favorite any favorite drivers other than Kimi Raikkonen? No, and anyone else? Okay, wait. Let's go back. Mm-hmm. How can an American get into this? If if you found what we're talking about interesting, uh, how can you get into it? Who do you want to follow? You know, uh, any suggestions? Like for the, wow. the for the new for the brand new fan who just goes, I want to watch a Formula One race right now. Well, what should you do? How do you approach this? Well, I mean, I think, like I said at the beginning, there, there's something in it for everyone. Mm-hmm. So I think the first thing is, is, is kind of what draws you to motorsports in general, right? Is, is, is it the teams? Is it the national pride? Which, you know, for an American wouldn't necessarily be an issue. We've got enough national pride. <laughs> Thank you very much. USA! USA! Eagle! Right. That kind of took a weird turn. But, um, <laughs> what was I going to say? So, or the engineering side. So, so there's, there's so many different ways that, that you could approach it, right? So, so find, find the, the, the gateway that is, that is right for you. Right. So once, once you've found that, I think you go online. There, there's a website, Formula1.com, I think it is, that has all the information there. But I just start by watching a few races yeah. and, and seeing who gets you excited and who you, you get passionate about. And whether you want to follow a driver or a team or, you know, some people follow engineers. Really? Right? They look at, like, who's the head of engineers. So Braun is a perfect example right. of that, right? He, he was a technical guy. And basically, wherever he goes, magic follows. So there's a few key people who are in this sport where if you just keep an eye on where they're going, you can kind of already start predicting that things are going to change. So one driver who unfortunately won't be racing next year uh, that kind of commands that that kind of attention is uh, Fernando Alonso. 
Why is he not racing next year? Because uh, he's actually moving to um, to U.S. motorsports. Instead. Oh, what kind? Um, I believe it's NASCAR, but I could. No way! Fernando Alonso is coming to NASCAR. Well, because there's there's a. Um, I had no idea. So there's there's Formula One, there's NASCAR, and there's uh, the Le Mans Twenty Four. Right, right, right. And it's kind of like the holy trinity of of motorsports. Right, right. Like yeah, that. you so, want it. You want to win. I I think I think you want to win Monaco, the Indy 500, and Le Mans. I believe it. that's it. I that's think there's, I think, uh, I think Mario Andretti has it. Uh, I think Phil Hill might have it. There's like only a couple. Yeah, it's a very very small group. So so does Montoya? Does Juan Pablo Montoya have it? I know he's got an Indy 500. I think he's got a Le Mans. No, no, maybe he doesn't have a Lamont, but he's got a Monaco too, doesn't he? I'm, oh man, I'm not sure. I'm, I don't know. I'm Someone sure. Google but it. But it's a very, very short list. So the the, the point is, is that he wants to. Be he wants on that he list. wants to be on that list. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's that's kind of his uh, his next thing. So the thing about um, Fernando is though he he was very well known in in the in in, in that that group as a driver that could really consistently get the very most out of any car that he was in. So teams really love to have him, not just because he's an amazing driver and he can win championships, but also because he's fantastic for helping to develop the car for the future. Aha! Because when he tells you that he's losing half a second because of one thing or another, you can be damn sure that that's actually what's happening. Wow, that is that is a fascinating aspect, too, because uh, all drivers and... All cars are not equal. Correct. So a driver and car pairing that might work in one way does not if you switched a driver or you switched a car out. So that's, that's what's so fascinating about the way that this sport is structured, right? So each team runs two, two cars. cars. And you'll always see one one guy does better than, than another guy. So sometimes it's, it's team strategy. Right, they'll they'll watch the first couple of races. They'll see whoever is doing better, and then they'll kind of favor that that driver. Right, there was a notorious one years ago, uh, Rubens Barrichello. I think it was uh, Rubens Barrichello and Michael Schumacher were co-drivers, and was it Rubens and Michael? Well, the more recent one was was in fact Alonso and. Anyway, the one while you're thinking of the one I'm thinking of was Rubens Barrichello led the entire race, and then Ferrari told him in the last lap, "Pull over, let Michael win." Right? Yeah. Right. So, so that is not supposed to happen anymore, but sometimes it still does. Um, I'm thinking about shit. His name, <laughs> Lewis Hamilton. There we go. Ah, Lewis Hamilton. Ah. So it's Alonso and Hamilton. They were on the same team. Yep. And Alonso came in as the veteran. Hamilton was the rookie, but the was, team favored. It was with McLaren. Uh, right, right. McLaren was favoring um, Hamilton, basically. So that didn't sit well with, with Alonso. And in the end, it was a race to the finish, and, and Alonso almost took it from Lewis. Right. And so that was, that was a big thing that year. That was a big thing that year. Um, but there is another path to fandom that a lot of sports, at least from my observations, don't typically have. There's a lot of like, 
tabloidism going on amongst Formula One drivers, like who doesn't like who and who doesn't do that, except it's on a global scale. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, I'm, a, I'm a New Yorker, so like we've got, you know, the New York Daily News will be like, there's a beef between, you know, two baseball players or Carmelo Anthony should leave the Knicks. He left the Knicks, thank God. Um, but but there's, there's that factor to it too. Like, so if you're like the super casual fan, you could be like, well, I'm just going to follow their social lives. Right. So it's like a giant soap opera. Now, the, the <laughs> thing which is kind of cool is that, look, in any other sport, if there's a rivalry between Team A and Team B... Well, that's the way a sport works. Right? But they're not meeting up every every week or, or, or whatever, or right. every month, whatever, whatever the frequency is, yeah. because they're playing other teams as well. Yeah. This is like... The same guys going head to head at every race. They follow each other around. So the, if you don't like a coworker, you're still stuck with that exactly. coworker. So the, the potential for drama. So yeah, if you're a soap fan, yeah. you might want to get into this from that <laughs> angle as well. And uh, yeah, and everyone's dating models also, so you might want to get into it for there, that too. There is, there is that. There is. That. I mean, I mean, what? I and that's sort of like the the whole history of auto racing is like who's who's that really cool guy? Well, like, like well, that's the count. What is he? Well, he's actually a French count. What's he do? Drives cars, dates models. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that's that's way back in the history of yeah, the sport. That's yeah. kind of kind of where it where it came from in a way. Um but so where where were we? We were talking about uh you know, you were going through some gates of entry for you know the casual observer, what racers you want to watch right, right now. Yeah, and, and which drivers yeah. were, were kind of like doing doing what. So yeah, I mean I've I've always made me a bit biased because of the ING connection, but I've always had a bit of a soft spot for 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 Alonso. So mm-hmm. it's kind of sad to see him leaving this boy. But he he did um he was well known for for just being the guy that you go to in order to get your car right and know where you sit in the order of things. Because right. you can be sure if he's in the car, that's the spot that you deserve. You don't deserve a place below. You don't deserve a place above because that's that's it. That's what your car can do. So we talked earlier about like you know in science you need a control right. He is a control. He is he is one of the controls because he is he's just such a perfect racer that it, the car moves around him. He doesn't move around yeah, the car. So he's that consistent. So I think uh, yeah, we we kind of touched on 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 all kinds of things here, but basically one of the things that was fascinating for me as well is that whole fact that you have multiple levels of tests. So it's the teams that are competing against other teams. So they're, they're engineers against your engineers. Right. But even then, you also have the drivers who are in the same car. So sometimes, if you're a really, really excellent driver, it's, it's better to be in a different team because then at least you can blame the car for not beating out your competitor. But if you're in the same car yep. with the same team yep. next to each other and you consistently lose... You know who's the better driver. And that really sucks. So one thing about Formula One drivers is it doesn't matter whether in, they're in the fastest or the slowest car, whether they are ranked number one or whether they're ranked last or even whether where they finish in the whole grid position of of things during qualifying every single one of these guys when they go out they believe that they are the best driver on that track and that they can win the race i mean that's how they go out every single time to exceed to that level you obviously must be you know how many people can say they're formula one drivers was it 22 22 people 22 people on earth can say they're four and low and drivers um mark 
This has been fantastic. Thank you so much for talking about Formula One fandom. Go to formula1.com and figure out who you want to follow uh, and start watching races if this sounds like something that you're into because Mark has told us there's plenty of ways to watch. You can watch for the cars. You can watch for the soap opera. You can watch for the drivers. You can watch for the geek out nerdery of the technology. Mark, thank you so much. This was eminently fascinating. Great. Thanks, Austin. You got it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 